From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. It's an honor to have you joining us this evening. I'm Jody Heiss, a special advisor to the president here at the Family Research Council, and I'm honored to be filling in for Tony on each Friday. And again, we welcome you on board. Coming up on this edition of Washington Watch, it has been a very busy week on Capitol Hill, including today as House Republicans passed the Parents' Bill of Rights this morning. Today was a win for every mother, every father, but most importantly, for every student in America. You have a Parents' Bill of Rights now. That was House Speaker Kevin McCarthy earlier today. But of course, as you can well imagine, the Democrats had a different take on the legislation today. Today, extreme MAGA Republicans passed a bill that puts politics over parents and will ban books, censor librarians, and bully children. It's shameful. Wow, that was House Democrat leader Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, Democrats insist that this bill is not going to go anywhere in the Senate. Uh, but coming as it does on the heels of the Biden administration seeking to paint concerned parents as domestic terrorists, at the very minimum, this legislation is going to remind voters which party really stands up for parents. Congressman Randy Weber from Texas will be joining me to explain and discuss this and some other things coming up in the program. And yesterday saw a record number of congressional hearings. 42 hearings took place yesterday, the most ever in a single day. Included in that was the much-anticipated hearing on the TikTok social media app, which included a six-hour bipartisan grilling of the platform CEO. Even Democrats said that they received little or no assurance from what they heard. I've not been reassured by anything you've said so far. And I think, quite frankly, um, your testimony has raised more questions for me uh, than answers. That was U.S. Representative Lisa Blount Rochester uh, during yesterday's hearing. Uh, so what's going to come out of the hearing? I'll discuss this a little bit later with Congressman Tim Wahlberg. And for the second day in a row, the Iranian airstrikes have been targeted against a U.S. base in northeastern Syria, this time following a U.S. counterstrike that killed eight Iranian fighters. This morning at approximately 8.05 uh, a.m. local time, which would have been uh, 1.05 a.m. Uh, eastern time, uh, we had 10 rockets that targeted coalition forces at Green Village in northeast Syria. Uh, the attack resulted in no injuries to U.S. or coalition personnel and no damage to equipment or facilities. That was Pentagon spokesman Pat Ryder earlier this afternoon. Joining me here in a little while is FRC's executive vice president, retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. He'll be analyzing this breaking news. And after a federal court struck down the Biden administration's appeal, claiming that the president has the authority to mandate the COVID shot for federal employees, well, it is uh, heartening to see that we now have some federal judges who recognize that we do have a system of checks and balances in our Constitution. And that only emphasizes, though, yet again, how crucial it is for judges to be nominated for these extremely important court uh, positions 
uh, but judges who are guided by our Constitution and not by ideologies from the left. Joining me in a little while to discuss this is Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall and Mike Berry of First Liberty Institute. So we've got an exciting program, great topics straight ahead. You don't want to miss a bit of it. But if by chance you miss any portion of today's program, you can rest assured uh, that you can catch it by going to our website, TonyPerkins.com. You'll also find their uh, details and action items on the website. So be sure to check it out later. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. And before we jump into our first topic, let me just say this again. We've been talking this week about hostility against churches and Christian ministries, no question. Uh, such hostility is on the rise all across America. We're seeing people of faith who are facing censorship. They're being marginalized, even punished. So, friends, please make no mistake, our faith is under fire. And so, as a result, earlier this week, we announced a chance to triple your impact with a triple match of giving up to $100,000. And listen, great news. So many of you have responded that we have met that initial goal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But I'm going to ask you, this is a, the last day that we're pushing this. And so I'm asking you again to help us go even further. Uh, you can give a gift right now and accelerate both your and our efforts to ensure that Christians and churches don't stand alone. So to give, to be a part of this, simply text the word FAITH to 67742. All right. The House Republicans passed today, this morning, the Parents' Bill of Rights, a sweeping set of common sense measures that basically ensure that parents have a voice in their children's education. That's common sense. Absolutely. Democrats in the Senate insist that this bill is not going to see the light of day, but at least the legislation is going to keep pressure on the left, and it will remind voters which party prioritizes education instead of indoctrination. And President Biden also continues his attack on Republican lawmakers even today, as the debate over the debt ceiling shows, frankly, no sign of a conclusion anytime soon. Well, joining me to discuss these topics and more is U.S. Representative Randy Weber. He serves on the House Committee on Energy and Commerce, as well as the Committee on Science, Space, and Technology. He represents the 14th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Weber, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, Jody. Appreciate y'all having us on. Appreciate what y'all do. Well, it's great to have you. And I must say, uh, Randy and I, we used to be in a Bible study together when I was in Congress. And uh, a lot of times it met in my office, sometimes in his. But every time, Randy Weber would always make breakfast. He can make a mean <laughs> breakfast, an awesome cook. Yeah, I miss it a great deal. But Randy, great to see you again. We miss All you. Right, listen, I got uh, thank you. I, I got a lot to cover with you, but first, um, uh, congratulations to you and the GOP for passing the Parents' Bill of Rights in the House. Give me your initial thoughts on this bill. Well, you hit it early on. It's driving the left crazy, and we want Americans to know that we are standing up for our children. Uh, this has gone on way too long, and to believe and and what President Trump said about the swamp. Uh, some weaponized agencies, if you will. And there was some of the FBI even to, that went after President Trump early on at the top echelon. But when their agents start depicting parents as domestic terrorists, what have we come to? This bill, and thank God that Republicans are back in control. Thank God that Kevin McCarthy 
is leading us. He made promises and he's keeping those promises. In fact, I think you talked about record number of hearings. We are back to regular order. One of the first things we wanted to tackle was uh, the fact that parents had lost control of uh, their kids' education, and that's what we're doing. Well, listen, uh, in behalf of uh, FRC and people all across America, thank you. Yeah, yeah, 42, 42 hearings yesterday, the most ever in a single day. And so let me just say thank you to you and all of Congress for doing your job and for keeping the heat on and doing what you're supposed to do. But Randy, a a few moments ago, I played a clip uh, uh, as we were introducing the program today of uh, House Democrat leader Hakeem Jeffries claiming that this bill, the Parents' Bill of Rights, is somehow going to ban books and censor librarians and bully children. I want to play one more clip and get your response to this. They voted to support the banning of books. And in our view, in our estimation, that includes the banning of books on the Holocaust, on the Civil Rights Movement, on slavery, on women's history, on Native American history, on the LGBTQ journey, on Latino history, on Asian American history, and as it relates to baseball. Books related to Roberto Clemente. Unbelievable. Give me your response to that. And he also said the MAGA Republicans. Jody, it's unbelievable. It's the old bait and switch game. You know, they're trying to say that we're going to ban certain historical books. They know, they know that we're after all this sexual training and deviance and deviations, transgenderism and all that stuff. We don't want our kids taught that, number one. Number two, anything they teach that's going to be suspect or questionable, every, and you know, Brenda Gale, my bride, taught fourth grade 27 years. Every parent has the right to know what's being taught in any kind of curriculum. And the Democrats absolutely hate that. They have an agenda. They're pushing it. It's going to destroy our country if if people don't wake up. And we're waking up, so thank you for that realization. Because this has to stop. It does have to stop, and it is common sense. I would dare say, Congressman, that Hakeem Jeffries would not even read from the House floor some of the things that our children are being faced with in schools. It's so uh, vile, the, the, the many examples. But if I can, I want to switch gears with you real quickly as a member of the Energy and Commerce. Uh, the president, uh, with this whole debt ceiling and budget debate, the president continues to claim that Republicans are are using this whole budget debate to eliminate people's health care. Why in the world uh, does he continue pushing this false narrative? Well, again, it's the old bait and switch. In other words, he knows, he absolutely knows that we're not after people's health care. We're not after Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Uh, we want, and, and he's saying, no, y'all should always just only do a clean debt ceiling increase. He's trying to buy time. He's trying to run the clock out on us until September the 30th, hoping that that'll pressure us to vote for it. Kevin McCarthy has kept his leader, Speaker McCarthy has kept his word. The Republican GOP has been right on this. And we're saying, look, eight times since 1985, debt ceiling increases have been tied to, oh, spending reductions. How about that? So we'd like to get some bang for our buck. We'd like to cut spending. 
we'll do the things that we need to do, but we can't keep going on like we are. And Biden and others, like Kim Jeffries, you hit the nail on it. It's the old bait and switch. They try to make it seem like it's something it's not. Americans are too smart for that. Yeah, and you know the president's budget. I'm sure you know a whole lot more than uh, than I do with this on the, the the roles that you play. But his budget has like three trillion dollars of new taxes in it, uh, and it is so packed with left wing agenda items. And yet somehow they claim there's no cuts anywhere to be found in this. It, it's you know, just absolute was, absurdity. He was quoted in Canada that he he spoke and said that the United States was the leader in precious minerals refining. And I'm thinking, what is he drinking? My gosh, where does he get these statistics? He's trying to pull a fast one. He's trying to run out the clock. Jody, if if you want, and I know you did, if you remember when he first got elected, a $1.7 trillion transfer, uh, infrastructure bill, he had the audacity to stand up for the American people in the camera and say it's the largest bill in history for a tra- infrastructure, but it won't cost Americans any more money. And I'm like, who do you think pays for this, Mr. President? It's unbelievable. It really is. And uh, we've only got about 15 seconds. But is this thing going to drag out all the way this September, you think? Or are you going to be able to get a breakthrough more quickly? Speaker McCarthy has been pressuring him, saying, look, you got to get this done. We're not going to let the Senate run it out, run the clock out on us either, Jody. We've made, that, we've made that promise that they can't just jam us with bills. You know how they do that, having been there. Absolutely. So, uh, he, the president may try, but we're not going to let him do it. Randy Weber, Texas, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. Thank you, Jody. Love what y'all do. Thank you. All right, friends, coming up, TikTok CEO was on the hot seat yesterday. We'll cover that right after this break. Stay tuned. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. An honor to be with you. I'm Jody Heiss, your host. All right, members of the House Energy and Commerce Committee yesterday literally grilled TikTok CEO Sho Chu for some six hours. They questioned everything from his company's relationship to the Chinese Communist Party to its confirmed surveillance of U.S. journalists. And his answers were so evasive, often misleading answers, and quite frankly, He left a room on both sides of the aisle full of skeptics as to just where this whole thing is going. In fact, some were wondering if it's time for a national ban of TikTok, which currently, by the way, has about 150 million monthly active users here in the United States. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is U.S. Representative Tim Wahlberg. He serves on the House Committee on Energy and Commerce as well as the Committee on Education and Workforce. He represents the 5th Congressional District of Michigan. Congressman Wahlberg, great to see you. Welcome to the program. Well, it's great to see you, Jody. And uh, let me hasten to say we miss you. Well, thank you so much. And by the way, uh, Congressman Wahlberg, like myself, was a pastor before going to Congress, and he and I always had a a great relationship in many regards, but certainly from that. So thank you for your stance on the word as well as your stance overall in Congress. Uh, Congressman, listen, I just had, I just uh, completed a a discussion with Congressman Randy Weber about the Parents' Bill of Rights. And before we get to TikTok, I understand that you authored a significant provision in that piece of legislation that passed today. So uh, quickly tell us about that. We did, Jody. Uh, it was a, uh, we call it the Respect Kids Act, um, and it was a standalone bill. Uh, we felt that it should be part of the Parental Rights Act. And I think you understand me, Jody, that to, to say parental rights is tough for me to say because I don't think government gives parents rights. That came from God. That's what our responsibility We have legislation that would say that a parent who is not informed by their elementary or middle school that the child had asked for their pronouns to be changed or their name to be changed or to give them help in gender transition or to give them accommodations in a different bathroom or locker room than would go with their biological sex, that the parents had to be notified or they would ultimately lose, the school would lose Title Title I funding. Um, That's awesome. I thought it was a valuable point to put through 
um, and we did get it out of committee and into the bill as, as the package, as an amendment. And uh, so that is part of the parental rights uh, legislation that passed the House today. That is fantastic. Thank you for your leadership on that. Greatly needed. And, you know, this whole thing is just so much common sense. It's stunning to me how the Democrats oppose it so with such emotion and passion. If we can shift gears, though, I, I do want to talk about the hearing yesterday, the TikTok hearing with uh, the CEO, Sho Chu, uh, and how he dodged so many questions or he gave extremely evasive answers. Uh, for instance, he wouldn't even say with 100 percent certainty uh, that TikTok could resist orders from the Chinese Communist Party uh, to if they were to uh, invade Taiwan, for example, would TikTok be boosting pro-Beijing content? He couldn't. It just evades these kind of questions. There, there were so many uh, questions about the Uyghurs and the the uh, decline to to answer the, these type of atrocities taking place in China. Uh, so, just give me your overall first uh, overall thirty thousand foot view of the hearing yesterday. Well, having an opportunity to to see. Uh uh, CEO Chu up close and personal, uh, type of guy that you would say be a great neighbor, you know, nice guy, articulate, um, but he was not telling the truth. And when you have 150 million people who are subscribers to uh, and users of, of uh, TikTok, the impact that that can have in a country, even if it were just a normal American produced uh, platform, is tremendous. The type of impact it has on young people's lives, it has on suicide and and um, gender manipulation and all the rest that can go on through there. Well, TikTok has a has a problem because it's connected to the Chinese Communist Party. And why do I say that? And that's why I tried to get in my questioning of of Mr. Chu, him to respond to what the Chinese Communist Party said. In fact. A representative from the Commerce Department over there said that no way could a sale or a transfer of a Chinese affiliated company take place outside of the Chinese law, which meant it couldn't take TikTok that is under the auspices of 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 a Chinese company and and move it to a wholly owned American company. It just couldn't happen. And so I asked uh, uh, Mr. Chu if he agreed or disagreed with the Chinese Communist Party representative who gave that statement in the Wall Street Journal that very day. He wouldn't answer that. So I had to say I would assume, based upon that, that you agree with the Chinese Communist Party because you're unwilling to state that, no, they're wrong, which has implications if you were to say that. But if that is true, what China is saying about um, a, a company like TikTok, then we need to be concerned. Their algorithms, Jody, the algorithms that they have in place rival anything of any platform in the world today, in fact, go beyond. They're capable with, uh, with facial recognition and other things to set apart people and categorize them and put them in contact with messages and other individuals and other videos and other pictures and other content that could change their lives. And China understands that America will be beat 
if we're going to be beat as a world power from the inside. So if you can divide this country and you can do it on a social media platform like TikTok and do it so well that you can pick out people and what they're yeah. interested in, move in that direction. Wow. That's dangerous to the health and Congressman, safety. We've got, we've got about 30 seconds here left. And uh, let, let me just ask you this. You're, you're bringing some phenomenal information. Uh, do you consider TikTok a national security risk? I do. I do. And uh, that's going to be tough. We'll have to educate the people, and what you're doing is helping that. Educate people to understand this is not just a benign social media platform that guys like me don't understand and my grandkids do. Absolutely. Representative Tim Wahlberg, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. It's an honor. Thank you. Good to be with you. Thank you. All right, friends, coming up, an Iranian missile strike targeted U.S. base in northeast Syria earlier today. We'll be joined by our own General Boykin right after the break. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. We appreciate you plugging in this evening. All right, yesterday we had an Iranian missile strike that targeted the uh, U.S. base in northeastern Syria. In fact, that took place earlier today, uh, which was one day after a self-destructing drone killed one U.S. contractor, injured another contractor, and injured five U.S. service members in the region. Well, according to the Pentagon, today's attack hit an American base southeast of the Syrian province of Dar al-Zor. Uh, and though it included a lot of rockets, fortunately, uh, I understand there were no confirmed casualties. Uh, but the big question right now is what threats do these attacks pose? 
in light of the recent efforts in the region to try to de-escalate the tensions. Well, I know of no one better to discuss this topic with than who is joining me now, FRC's Executive Vice President, General Jerry Boykin. He spent the last uh, four years of his 36-year military career as a Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, and of course he was an original member of the Army's Delta Force. General Boykin, always an honor to have you on the program. Thank you so much for being with us this evening. Well, Jody, it's a privilege to be on with you. Well, listen, like I said, I don't know anyone I'd rather try to get information to on this. This is uh, uh, just pretty, pretty breaking news. So if you would, General, first just kind of give our viewers and listeners a basic rundown of what's taking place this week and where we stand right now. Well, as you laid out there, um, elements of the IRGC, or the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, or at least affiliates of the uh, IRCG, uh, did just what you said. They uh, they used drones to uh, uh, actually, they didn't fire any shots, but what they did do was they crashed these drones into the base where we had U.S. citizens, and that's where the... Uh, one contractor was killed and six or seven other people were wounded. And then today, uh, after we retaliated last night, today they they fired again. This time they fired missiles into uh, another one of our bases. No one was hurt as far as we know. But uh, in any way you look at this, this is a bad situation that we have going on right now, uh, Jody. And I think it has everything to do with Xi's visit and uh, how that emboldened the uh, Iranians and, and you know, in many ways restored their confidence. Well, you're going exactly where I want to go. I, would, I, I really hadn't considered Xi's visit that certainly. Uh, but, you know, the weakness of our own president, I, there's an accumulation of issues. So, so just kind of go a little bit further with this, if you would. Uh, General, why, sure. why, in your opinion, do you think Iran is taking such an aggressive position right now? Yeah, uh, first of all, it, it, it was announced by Mark Milley that uh, Iran is, uh, in two weeks' time, Iran could have enough fissile material to, um, to, to actually build a, a small warhead and then a few months to build one that would be larger. And they have the missile capabilities to hit any place in the Middle East, uh, any place. And, and, of course, the primary target would be Israel. But I think the fact that uh, she came in and brokered an agreement between two mortal enemies, that being Saudi Arabia and Iran, uh, really emboldened the Iranians in terms of them seeing that they are surfacing, they are rising to the top as the dominant power, certainly in the Persian Gulf, but really uh, in in the whole that whole Middle Eastern part of the world. And I think that uh, while the IRGC um, is the one that that uh, actually ordered this uh, attack on us yesterday and and this morning about eight o'clock. Uh, I think that it's important for us to under, understand that the IRGC is the most powerful 
government entity in Iran, and they made a decision to go after America because they felt like they're now and I have, they're now on, on top. They're surfacing as what they've always wanted to be, which is why they wanted a nuclear weapon. And what they want to be is they want to be the dominant power in that part of the world. And, uh, and, and it's happening for them right now. And, and wow. let me just say this, too. The other thing is we need to remember this. It has been no secret, at least it's been an open secret, that the, the Saudis – have offered the Israelis um, airfields from which they can refuel and rearm if they do a preemptive strike on the uh, any of the nuclear sites inside of, of Iran. And now that has been taken away because of this agreement that she brokered. Now the Saudis, under, in no way, are they going to allow the, the uh, Israelis to fly their airspace or use any of their facilities for rearming and refueling if they try to do a nuclear attack. Wow. And I think that that is another factor in this whole thing. Absolutely. Listen, we've got less than 30 seconds. Were you surprised by the president authorizing uh, the, the response and what should be the best response right now? 15 seconds. Yeah, I was, I was surprised, but now we ought to make a parking lot out of those places that we bombed yesterday or new places have anything to do with the IRGC. Just bomb them, make a parking lot. Thank you, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. Always great to see you. Thanks for coming on the program. Good to be with you, Jody. Thank you. All right, coming up, folks, we're going to have some good news from courts uh, that also serves as a reminder of the importance that it is to have good judges on the bench. We'll talk about that straight ahead right after the break. Stay tuned. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. 
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, your host. Always an honor to host for Tony, and we appreciate you joining us on this Friday edition of the program. I briefly touched on this topic yesterday, uh, uh, but this week a coalition of 19 different attorneys general sent a letter to the U.S. Senate leaders strongly opposing President Biden's nomination, Nancy Abudu, to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit. Now, Abudu is currently employed as the strategic litigation director uh, for the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, you, you probably are familiar with this organization. It's a corrupt organization known for targeting its political opponents uh, with its hate group label. Yeah, uh, that probably rings a bell to you. But if that were not enough, earlier this month, an attorney who literally worked in the office with Abudu at the SPLC was arrested and charged with domestic terrorism. Charged with domestic terrorism. And, of course, the SPLC inspired the now-convicted terrorist, Floyd Corkin, who came to the FRC Washington office about a decade ago with the intent of a mass murder. Well, we have 19 attorneys generals who have signed a letter uh, onto this, and it's a clear indication of the threat that Abudu would have on the bench. So uh, joining me now to discuss this is the attorney general leading that entire effort, Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall. Attorney General Marshall, thank you so much. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, Jody. Well, listen, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, before we discuss Nancy Abudu, explain to the viewers, if you would, and our listeners, why this 11th Circuit Court of Appeals is so important. Well, this is our federal appeals court for both Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, which hears many of the significant cases and challenges that we have occurring in our state. And it's why it's so important that we have a jurist and not an activist to be able to serve on that court. And you've already highlighted many of the issues relating directly to the SPLC. But can you imagine if we now allow the head of strategic litigation for that agency, one who's a part of a group that's called law enforcement, the true collective threat uh, to our society to suddenly sit and decide cases. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you start looking through, and I know you, and I look forward to getting more of your comments here, but just the research I've done, this uh, th this woman is pretty frightening. And to think that she could be on, on this uh, court is just really frightful. 
so th let's talk about the letter. Uh, you, uh, thankfully, and I, I say that in all sincerity, thank you for your leadership with this, leading the letter uh, to Senate leaders. Uh, and what are you saying in the letter? Who all have joined you? Uh, and what do you anticipate is going to be the result here? Well, we have a substantial majority of Republican attorneys general have joined us, which is unique because, again, there's only three states that are subject to the 11th Circuit, but they recognize that if we allow this nominee to be able to get through the process, what could be coming to their circuits? I mean, this is a nominee that said Florida is trying to keep poor people from voting. She said that Alabama is attempting to reinstate today white supremacy. She said that Georgia's law enforcement has a culture of arresting those people of color. I mean, can you imagine if Alabama has a voting rights case in front of her, whether or not we'd receive a fair shake? Or if you're a law enforcement officer, when the question of your qualified immunity is being challenged, whether or not you believe you're going to receive a fair shake. And, you know, you've already spoken to one of the lawyers under the SPLC being charged with domestic terrorism. And the response of that organization was not to condemn the actions of their attorney, but instead to say that law enforcement was overzealous. I mean, this is clearly not a nominee that needs to be serving on our federal bench. And I'm very pleased to not only see the significant support of our colleagues, but already the response that we've heard from many in Congress. Well, you know, and you, you've hit on this, too. I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into this if we can. But it's not just the fact that she works for a disreputable organization, uh, but her judicial philosophy is severely flawed from uh, what I've seen. Can you go a little bit deeper and give us some examples of what she really believes on some important issues? Well, particularly around the, the voting rights issue, we've seen that she argues uh, through misrepresentation about the status of voting in the respective states covered by the 11th Circuit. For example, she was able to help author a report about Alabama's voting practices that were filled with misrepresentations. And in fact, we had to have the ability to be able to respond to that. When we look at our state, when we have record numbers of voter registration and voter participation, when we've seen no reduction in voter participation as a result of voter ID, for example, in Alabama, a practice and a law that's been validated by this same 11th Circuit that she seeks to join. What we've learned is that she's not a zealous advocate for the positions of her client, but she's one that will personally misrepresent the facts for anybody that's opposed to her position. We've seen that's the practice of the SPLC. I mean, clearly they target groups that are contrary to the SPLC's worldview, but also we've seen in her capacity as a lawyer that she's echoed that not only through the filings in the respective courts in which she's appeared, but in her personal comments, as well as those other organizations in which she associates herself with. Well, that's uh, re really pretty stunning. I, I saw that she also supports this unconstitutional idea of pre-clearance, which we pushed back uh, in my time in Congress, uh, pushed back on that, but it would basically require certain states to get approval from the Department of Justice, Justice before they can enact any kind of uh, election integrity laws. Uh, this, all of this uh, is, is disturbing. What do you anticipate is going to happen? I mean, she supports well, all these wrong things, but what, what's your take on where is this headed? Well, one of the things that we hope is there's new information contained in our letter. And one of the things that we would like to see is that it be sent back to the committee for further questioning to allow for our senators to inquire specifically about the example recently of the arrest of the lawyer 
for domestic terrorism and where she stands on that. Does she uh, object to what her lawyer did? Does she believe it was unlawful? Was that an appropriate action for an attorney? And then also to be able to highlight again many of the positions that she's taken. You know, clearly the, the Senate could deny the ability of this nominee to move forward, which would be the best case scenario. But at, at, a, at a minimum, we would love for there to be more investigation into not only her personal philosophy, but how that personal philosophy ultimately will impact her role as a potential judge. Yeah, that's that's great. And I certainly think this could add fuel to the fire of the investigation of her. Currently, there's no scheduled vote that I'm aware of. I haven't seen uh, where they've scheduled a vote for her. But it would seem to me that, that, that you know, if, if one of her employees is arrested on domestic terrorism charges, I mean, and, and her organization defends that individual. I mean, the S SPLC, as you referred to, didn't condone. They, they doubled down in defending yeah. him. That should be enough to sink this whole campaign by itself, it would seem to me. Yeah, and let's also remember what they were protesting, and that was the building of a law enforcement training facility. To the extent that we worry or are concerned about whether or not she can fairly evaluate the actions of law enforcement, and that's both on the criminal side, right, is to work that we're doing to hold individuals accountable, but also when evaluating civilly the work of law enforcement, how in the world can we believe that she can treat those individuals fairly? Absolutely. Well, Attorney General Marshall, I want to thank you for your leadership in this and uh, deeply grateful for that. We appreciate you joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Thank you. And I'd like to make all of you aware that uh, you and uh, our listeners, our viewers, each of you, uh, you can, uh, you need to be aware that FRC Action actually has a petition uh, to send two senators urging to, them to oppose this nomination. And you can view this, you can sign on to it. Go to frcaction.org and sign on to this petition. We really encourage you to do that. All right, let's switch over. I want to continue. Uh, you know, if it, if it wasn't clear before, uh, the, the ruling yesterday is highlighting the importance of having good judges on the bench. I mean, uh, yesterday, the, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals blocked President Biden's mandate that federal employees have to get the COVID shot. It's a great step in the right direction. The court soundly rejected the administration's claim that the president has the authority to be the CEO of America. I mean, come on. Uh, but we, we had a good ruling yesterday, so that's encouraging. And I want us to, uh, to, to dive further into this. And it's, it's a, a good step in the right direction. So d joining me now to discuss this and more is Mike Berry. He's the vice president of external affairs and the senior counsel at First Liberty Institute. Mike, welcome back to the program. Always great to have you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back on. Well, listen, let's start with the decision yesterday. Explain yesterday's ruling uh, to our viewers and listeners. Well, the decision was in the uh, Feds for Medical Freedom. So this is a group of, of federal employees who have an objection to the vaccine mandate, the Biden administration's vaccine mandate, requiring that all federal employees and contractors be vaccinated or else they would lose their job. And uh, they challenged that in federal court. You talked about the importance of having good judges. They got a good judge uh, in, here in Texas, in the Southern District of Texas, a judge by the name of Jeff Brown, 
who ruled in favor of these employees who objected to the mandate. And of course, the Biden administration appealed that to the Fifth Circuit. And that's what happened yesterday was uh, a little while back, a panel of the Fifth Circuit, so three judges ruled in favor of the administration. And what happened yesterday was you had what's called an en banc ruling, which is the entire court, the entire Fifth Circuit uh, ruled. And that doesn't happen all that often. So when it does, it makes headlines. And they ruled in favor of the medical employees. And the, really the question before the court was whether or not the court would even have jurisdiction uh, to, to hear a challenge to the president's authority. So that's really the bigger issue here is does the president of the United States have authority to say, do this or else I'm going to fire you? And the Fifth Circuit said, uh, yes, of course the courts have authority to hear that case. Wow. Well, listen, this is encouraging. I'm loving what you're saying. Uh, now, on a practical level, this really doesn't change anything for federal employees, as I understand it. It's upholding uh, preliminary in <coughs> injunction. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, you know, at a practical level, this isn't going to change a whole lot. But, but you know, the statement the, made is huge. Right. This is the type of case that, that lawyers and policy wonks get really interested in because you get an opportunity to see uh, where some of these federal judges are. So the judge who wrote the opinion on behalf of the, the, the court, the Fifth Circuit, was Judge Andy Oldham, a, a Trump appointee. But then there was a very interesting and powerful concurrence written by another Trump appointed judge, Judge James Ho, uh, also on the Fifth Circuit. And Judge Ho took the opportunity to really go out, I, I would characterize as going after the deep state, right, and saying that uh, our country is essentially, our federal government has become uh, this place where as soon as you have a federal job, you essentially, uh, you ha almost have more power than the president because the president will be there and gone in four years or maybe eight years. But a federal employee who has federal protected civil service, they essentially have life tenure and they are, they're the ones that are controlling the government. And so, you know, he really took the opportunity to kind of go after the deep state in that regard and said, what's happened to our country to where a president, all right, uh, it, it, under federal civil service laws, no longer has the authority to decide uh, who presidential appointed employees are going to be and, or, or not. Uh, so I encourage folks to, to read the opinion in its entirety, including the concurrence by Judge Ho. And again, at the practical level, this doesn't change a whole lot. It continues. It does deal yet another blow to the Biden administration's vaccine mandate, though, which is good news. Absolutely. Well, you're hitting on a, a, a bigger issue here. The implications, if you will, of the of the broader problem that we have here, and that being a president who sees himself, an administration who viewed themselves as the CEOs of our country able to come in and virtually legislate themselves right out of the, uh, from the executive branch of our government. This is a separation of powers issue that our Constitution is very clear about. And the decision yesterday seems to not just deal specifically with the VAX mandate, but goes to this broader issue of separation and powers. Isn't that really what, what's happening here? Yeah, absolutely. You know, famously, I think we all, well, at least at one time when we still taught American history and, and, and civics in school, uh, we learned that President Washington, uh, they wanted to make him King Washington, and he rejected that, right, and said America is not going to have a king like Great Britain. In fact, that's what we, you know, had to fight to escape from. 
I suspect that if President Biden were given the opportunity to be, to be named an anointed King Biden, he would absolutely grab that opportunity to do so. And, and just as you said, we have this, this separation of powers, Jody, for a reason. That's what the founders created our Constitution to do, which is to hold the president accountable. And here we have President Biden essentially telling a federal court, you don't have jurisdiction to review my actions or my decisions. I get to make those by executive fiat. And thank goodness we have good federal judges like those on the Fifth Circuit who said, no, we've got jurisdiction and we're going to hold you accountable, President Biden. Thank goodness, indeed. We've got about 30 seconds, uh, so we've got to wrap up here. But this whole COVID emergency thing is supposed to end on May 11th. So May 11th, does this go away or is this just going to go away until the next time? What's your thoughts? I thought it was supposed to go away after two weeks, Jody, but uh, here we are. (laughs) Uh, you know, two years and change into it. Uh, I, I do think that heading into the uh, election season, uh, I think that has a funny way of changing the political landscape in the country. So I suspect we will see uh, the COVID so-called emergency ending in the very near future. My Barry, always great to have you on Washington Watch. Thank you for the, leading the charge on so many fronts. Thank you for having me. Our blessing. All right, friends, it's an honor to be with you today on Washington Watch. Thank you for joining us. Hope you have a fantastic weekend. Don't forget, stand firm, stand strong, put on the Lord Jesus. We'll see you next week. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.